Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. you a Beatles fan? No. You're not at all? No. As in, do you know that song? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when a Beatles song plays, you're going to generally know that it's the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You're just not a huge fan. Correct. Why is that? Mm. I, do you want my honest opinion? Yeah, I, I want your honest opinion. I think they're a little bit overrated. Okay. I, I was expecting that answer. I'm not musically inclined, so I don't get the brilliance, you know, mm-hmm. how music... Music e nope. people yeah. think that they're mind blowing, and it was. No, I think the contrarian view is to say, well, they're overrated, but I'm contrarian and I love them, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't know where, where to like classify that. I don't know if they're actually overrated skill wise because I don't have any skills. Well, here's to compare them to. Yeah, and my my thing is that I only listen to pretty much Sergeant Pepper's through the Abbey Road, and that's only about four albums, but it was there was all within two, three years right there that they did that. So all the early stuff, I mean, you and I, we're way outside the demographic of people who lived during the Beatles, mm-hmm. which is why I find them fascinating that they, you know, my my parents' generation, and I don't know about your parents because you're younger than me, but my parents' generation was in that era that they watched the Ed Sullivan show and they experienced the cultural phenomenon. They were fairly young, but they they had the whole thing. They, they were part of the whole thing. And then they introduced me to the Beatles growing up. And they listened to mainly those albums, which is why I probably love those albums. And those are probably still today their most popular albums. But, you know, this news story that you brought up is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this because I found it very interesting that 
maybe the next generation below us is already starting to not know probably the most famous band ever. Yeah, so the headline, I want to hold your hand, one-third of Gen Z don't know who the Beatles are, according to a new survey. Despite being one of the most influential bands in music history, a new study has found that younger people have no clue who the Beatles are. A study showed that one-third of Gen Z, which are people born between 1997 and 2021, ages 25 and younger. 97, 25 and younger, those numbers are... That's fine, just go with it. I mean, honestly, though... um, They're unfamiliar with the Beatles. Uh, The report conducted by Roberts Radio says that two-thirds are unfamiliar with Aretha Franklin. That Uh, doesn't surprise me. No, because she is she older than the Beatles? Um, No, she was probably same era, 60s. I I mean, as, as the Beatles were, too, they existed beyond the 60s, but... More than half of the generation didn't know U2 or the Supremes, either. Okay, Supremes doesn't surprise me. U2 kind of does. They're more recent. Mm-hmm. Those are weird to put together. Yeah, why those? In this list. Wait, do you know about U2? What about the Supremes? <laughs> <laughs> well, that pretty much covers it. Potato, potato. Yeah. Uh, then Pink Floyd, David Bowie, and Prince all hovered around the 50% mark. So 50% of these participants did not know who Pink Floyd, David Bowie, or Prince were. Okay, so I just saw the headline of this story. Now that you're giving me the details, I'm a little less surprised because my guess is that if you're talking about somebody who's 25 or 18, the percentage of those people who've heard of the Beatles or U2 or Pink Floyd or the Supremes or whatever is probably pretty high. It's when you get down to, I mean, you're literally talking about five-year-olds and less that if they're part of that study... Yeah, they're not going to know who the Beatles are. Well, but we're talking about... Oh, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if they they said anybody 18 to 25 was unaware of these bands, that would really surprise me, or a third of them or whatever it was. But it does bring up an interesting point. Oddly, I mean, really oddly, uh, my pastor the last week or two... Uh, spoke on this topic. I don't think this was like the point of the sermon, but he did mention in it that if you're trying to leave a legacy, it's pretty much impossible to do beyond the generation of people who would have known you. Now, maybe your family is going to, you know, know your lineage and maybe a few facts about you. You know, we, we know things about, especially my wife's family. She's done, her, her family's done a lot more of genealogy, the genealogy stuff, family tree stuff. Yeah. And found out that, um, they had a couple of relatives who were in different wars and um, some famous property that Billy the Kid was on out in Kansas. And um, one relative who was part of the Oregon Trail and one who worked in very, very early, like 1920s radio. This all sounds so made up. Doesn't it? Yeah. I am making it up because mm-hmm. we're trying to make an interesting story and I really have absolutely I nothing here. I understand. Yeah. That's what makes you good at what you do. Thank you. Yeah, I just I just came up with all that. 10 to 25 is how old these uh, people were in the study. Okay, well, that so, that's that's a little more a little fair. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. But although still, you know, I wouldn't expect a 10-year-old to know a whole lot about Aretha Franklin or you 2 Well, I think those things are so generational. Like you said, you care about the Beatles because that's what you grew up on. I care about Bruce Springsteen for the same reason. I grew up listening to Born to Run. I grew up listening to Jimmy Buffett. I grew up listening to... So some of this music that as an... As a six-year-old, I would have told you I loved Bruce Springsteen because it was in my household. So if it's not in your household, if it's not being passed down, eventually 
I guess that's my question is, you know, if and when you have kids, are you excited to share your music with them? Because I really was. And now that I have kids, I've kind of done it and I still enjoy it, but it's just part of life now. Mm -hmm. But but introducing my kids know who the Beatles are and they're five, eight and eight, you know, and they will probably for the rest of their life enjoy will they that music. pass that down to their children? That's a good question, because right now we're still living in a generation where these people are alive, or at least two of the four of them are alive. So we can't really judge that yet. And we're in such a weird spot with pop culture that really like I'm not going to say there was no pop culture before 1950s. But it's when the 50s came around that we got TV, we got good recordings, because we had some recordings of bands before that. You know, you had the Rat Pack and you had Depression-era music on records. But that stuff, it, it's so it's so dated now that all the stuff that's really lasted is stuff really from the 50s and 60s and on. When it comes to really any media, both music, TV, movies, some movies, of course, we watch that are older than that. But, but we're not, we're, we're talking about pretty much a generation right now that we're still alive with people who were alive at the time of even some of these early movies that we watch from the thirties and stuff, you know? But so th- will that last? I don't know, because then you think about composers, right? Beethoven, Mozart, people yeah. that compose music. That was way before what we're talking about. And that music stood the test of time. Are we is anybody making music good enough i don't know to stand the test of time yeah i get and you're making a good point that that stuff has obviously lasted hundreds of years shakespeare even beyond the world of plays yeah because you couldn't record music in 1694 but they wrote it and we still play it but the proliferation of these things has just exploded in basically our parents lifetime And so we have so much more now than we ever have had in history that that's kind of where I think an interesting social experience experiment is about to happen within the next 20 years or so. When a lot of that generation of the 50s and 60s, which most of them have died at this point, but there's still some that are alive. I mean, you can go see Paul McCartney in concert right now. What are we still hearing on the radio? What are we still talking about? What kind of T-shirts are we still seeing in head shops? Like, what are we we still idolizing? Kids who were born in this year, when they become teenagers, will they be listening to stuff from the 70s, 80s, 60s? And will there be, like, will they really be knowledgeable about it? Or will it just be kind of the best? And every generation that goes on will kind of glean less and less of that. Because that's my prediction of what will happen. But I I just don't know because mm-hmm. we've never seen so much media that we have now that, I mean, we're bloated with it now. There's so much that only the absolute best. I mean, if you look at the top 10 songs of... Pick a random year, 1971. You and I would probably know half of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's really surprising. And maybe if you hear it, you go, oh, no, I do know that song. But if just reading it, you don't go, oh, I know that song. At which point does the classic rock station switch to that, like Target did, and put, we talked about this not that long ago, now there were that 20-year that mark, so it's mm-hmm. stuff I grew up with that... Is coming back. It's popular. It looks. It's supposed to be vintage. Yeah. At what point does the classic rock music push all that stuff out so far to where 
We're not because we're not hearing stuff from the 50s anymore. Do you oh, have yeah. to seek that out? Yes, you do. That's like a that's like a niche mm-hmm. now. So what 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 point does that? It's do when that generation classics, starts to die. Yeah. I mean that's that's exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. Where now you listen to the classic rock stations or the classic music station, maybe not classic rock because that's a little bit more defined. But music stations who are considered oldies now, even in this market, they're playing stuff from the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean that's stuff that. I'm listening to in my, you know, in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's on the oldies station now. So it'll always be roughly 25 years back through about 50 years back. I think it'll always just stay in that zone. I wonder about sidestepping to a different thing in longevity. I wonder how long brands can hang around. So, you, how, like which brands? Like Coca Cola, one of the oh, most gosh. iconic, right? But 400 years from now? Good question. You know, how long yeah. does it take for the, these beasts of cultural icons or brands or whatever it is, media, to finally fall off, to finally fall yeah. out? I, I don't know the answer to that because in 400 years, I mean, what are, are we teleporting? And are we like blobs of jelly in like I don't know. jars? Are we drinking Coca-Cola is all I want to know. Yeah. Like how how long does we are that... blobs of jelly, but the jar is owned by Coke. Yeah, I can see that happening. Good for them. <laughs> I'm glad they made it. Last question. Okay, so we're going long here. But last question: Do you ever think about what kind of legacy you'll leave, or do you even care? That is a big question. Like I... how do I? I would assume the answer is yes, just yes. because it's almost like programmed into human DNA. To want to do something that's bigger than yourself. I often feel panic over this question. That's why I'm because asking. I'm not sure. I'm trying to put you in a panic. Thank you. Uh, I can feel my heart rate mm-hmm. go up uh, because I'm not sure exactly what that is yet. A lot of people find it in their children. A lot of people find it in their creative outlets. Other than kindness and human connection, I haven't exactly figured out what my yeah. thing is, and it. It crossed my mind. Part of me is like, well, if the Bible says it's all going to burn one day, then really all that matters is the eternal things. Mm -hmm. But then I still am a person. And I think that's why I wrote a book Mm -hmm. is that I'm like, just so it's there. My kids are. Yeah. Like, I I don't know if anybody in a hundred years will ever read the life of human because there aren't that many people that are read it now, but at least it exists, mm-hmm. you know? I get that. And I, I don't know if people will go back and listen to these things, but that seems a little more tangible to me, something like that. Well, that's kind of a weird, sad yeah. note to end well, on. Well, I think that uh, something that is also tangible is your children and your lineage. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's you've true. You've got a family. I think they'll remember you. But really, I want people to read the book. <laughs> What's it called again? Oh, it's called The Life of Humans. It's available on Amazon. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's it's priced well. I mean, I'll say that. As far as legacies go, Mm -hmm. it's really priced well. Funny too. Oh gosh. It's got a range of emotions in it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I know, isn't it? All right. Thanks, Trisha. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You think I can explain an economic doom loop in under three minutes? I'm going to try. So this is from Zero Hedge, one of my favorite websites because they talk about monetary policy a lot, and I like to know where things are headed. An economic doom loop is this. High inflation, overregulation, and a general sense that things are going in the wrong direction. They remind us of the late 70s and early 80s. If you're old enough, I'm barely old enough to even be alive in that time, let alone remember it. So I don't really remember it in the same way that you do if you're older than I am. But today, the underlying problems that were responsible for our woes in those times are vastly worse. The coming reckoning for Washington's insanely irresponsible monetary policy, not just during COVID, but exacerbated to the craziest degree during COVID, may dwarf the troubles from all recent recessions and periods of inflation. Okay, that's hyperbolic, but bear with me here. The Federal Reserve has created a doom loop between the housing market and inflation. For years, it's been that uh, printed tens of billions of dollars each month to buy sketchy securities meant to subsidize the housing market and favor bond traders. This is continuing even now in spite of inflation and a red-hot housing market, which is just beginning to cool because of interest rates. But the housing market has become dependent on unearned, newly printed money, and stopping that flow might cause a catastrophic correction. So if you think housing prices are out of control, you would say, yeah, this is, this is probably true. Um, but a catas- catastrophic correction, that's not something anybody wants because it doesn't just stop with housing. You know, this affects everything because so much of so many people's assets are tied up into their house 
or multiple houses if you're a housing or a real estate investor. If that if they don't stop doing this though, inflation's going to explode even worse than it's been. And we know inflation inflation is terrible. Let me walk you through some of this math. So inflation closes the gap between money earned and money spent. Since the financial crisis of 2008, the Federal Reserve has expanded money supply from under 8 trillion to around 22 trillion today. During that time, GDP has increased from about 14 trillion to about 24 trillion today. So we've gone from a ratio of $1 chasing 220 in goods to an almost 1 to 1 ratio today. So sum this sum this up here. If you think 8% inflation is high, consider that prices need to double right now to restore any semblance of balance between your currency and the things you can buy with that currency. We have a long way to go unless some deep corrections are made. And I think you know these corrections are not being made. So guess what's going to happen? Inflation is going to continue to go up for the foreseeable future. This article says they could even double it could double where it even needs to be now to catch back up to where it should be. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But even if it doesn't, we're looking at a possible recession because they're going to remove money from the market by increasing increasing interest rates. So even increasing interest rates could not be enough to curb crazy inflation. We're looking at possible recession timed with crazy inflation. That is an economic doom loop. More positive stories. We'll try when we come back. Wiggins America. All right, I'm about to walk you through one of the greatest films so far this year. It's on Netflix, and it's about high school, and it's a comedy. Bear with me. You're going to be surprised. This is not within the realm of movies that I usually watch. I mean, I like comedies. Everybody likes comedies, right? But this movie is about a uh, it's a it's a high school girl movie. It, it is not within my purview usually, but for some reason I you know a little preview pops up on Netflix, and I let it play, and I thought, man, that actually looks pretty funny. So I started watching it while I was going to do other things, as we all do, and I found myself really watching it and really laughing at it, and it's partly that it's just funny. So the plot of the movie is called Senior Year. It's a very unmemorable title there, senior year, but it's about a girl who's very popular in high school in the 90s. Well, then I think it's 1998 or 9. They throw her up as a cheerleader. They throw her up and they don't catch her on purpose. One of her rivals, you know, stages that she's going to fall to her doom. And she really does fall and she really does go into a coma. So she's in a coma for 20 years. She wakes up now. And she's 37 years old, and she thinks she's still 17, or at least she, you know, she doesn't have any memories of the last 20 years. So she wants to go back and finish high school. This is the first scene. Um, and they give you a fancy cell phone for that? Oh, they're common now. Even I have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they do so much more than just call people. You could also watch the news. I mean, look, here's a news story about you right now. Woman's- Okay, so she's learning about society now. She's learning that uh, everybody has a cell phone, which is uh, not common in 1999, or at least not that you could watch things on them. So, you know, a lot of just comedy about her catching up. 
well, then really the rest of the movie is about her catching up to not just technology, but about what culture has become. And that's where it gets really funny. So here's the same scene in that car of her learning what she can and can't say now. Oh, wait, what does viral mean? Well, viral just means everybody saw it. Everybody's seen that? I look retarded in those videos. Now, Steph, you, you cannot say the R word anymore. What? Really? Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's offensive to people with intellectual disabilities. But what if something really is like a word? Um, what do you call it? Like super gay? No. No. You, you can't call things gay anymore either. Unless you use it as a neutral positive term to refer to somebody who identifies as homosexual. So you cannot say the R word. Right. And, um, oh, sorry, coma brain. What was the other word you can't say? Gay. Ha! Made you say it. <laughs> right, that's still got it, Dad. Okay, so funny scene. And I'm thinking, oh, that they actually took some shots at, at uh, you know, the movement of culture there. Although not deep shots, you know, just kind of like, oh, this is the movement of things. Well, it doesn't stop. So she's a cheerleader. She wants to go back, and she's 37 years old. So there's a lot of comedy just in the fact that she's going back to high school as a, an adult and trying to fit in. But she joins the cheerleading squad, <laughs> and here's here's that scene. Choking. We need new laws. Turtles are choking on plastic straws. Oh, good job, good job. What'd you think? What was that? Well, that's... What was that? It's our most popular routine. Yeah. <laughs> well, who are you guys cheering for? For everyone. Uh, you know, to do the right thing, right? Team humanity. Woo! Team humanity! Okay, yeah. <laughs> so the cheerleading scene continues and gets even better. Look, we would do that, but our freshman year, Brie Loves made an Instagram post saying that cheerleaders were anti-feminist. Basically, the whole school turned against us and we had to recalibrate. Her post got like 7 million likes. 8 million? That's for the best, though. Anyways, let's show her our gun control routine. Oh, that was okay. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. One of our <laughs> what even is this squad? Like, is there even a cheer captain? Yeah. yeah. Stephanie, I am the cheer captain. I am the cheer captain. I am the cheer captain. I'm a cheer captain. <laughs> and also yeah. the coach. We are all cheer captains here to promote, say it with me, equality. Okay, so good jokes brings a lot of humor through talking about the the proliferation of social media. I mean, part of the movie is just that every single person is doing everything on camera all the time to try to get likes. And your popularity has nothing to do with actually being in high school. It has everything to do with your brand and how many people you have following you on Instagram and stuff. So it's like the high school itself doesn't even matter anymore. And she's, she's like, how can you not care about being popular in high school? And they're like, well, we're, we're more concerned with being popular to the entire world and, and being inclusive. And so there's, there's, there's no outward bullying in the movie. There's sort of behind the scenes bullying because they all talk about being inclusive so much that they can't outwardly bully. <laughs> it's great. Uh, so she has to lobby to even get homecoming queen back because those are in, in non-inclusive terms. Now you can't have a homecoming king and queen. So she has to lobby to even get those things back. Then <laughs> they think she's going to win. So guess what they do? They rig the election.
Oh, you guys look incredible. Amazing. Do you want to go crush the photo booth? Yeah. Oh my God, stop. You're causing climate change. <laughs> um, I've got to go and get some votes. I don't know whether you guys saw, but Bree's mum is like totally trying to rig the election. Oh, oh, hell no. I will not stand for voter suppression. We're going to go help spread the word, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Storm the cafeteria. Yeah, all right, bye. See you later. Everyone feeling included? Okay, there's enough room on the dance floor for everybody. And you don't need a partner to dance. I usually dance by myself. Okay, there's there's so many shots taken in that 30 seconds that I, I almost can't break it all down. You know, you're talking about inclusivity on the dance floor and climate change jokes and election rigging jokes. There's a there's a one in there that I'm not even sure that they meant this to be the joke, but she says, "Hey, they're rigging the election against me." And the girl goes, "Oh, wait, well we cannot stand for voter suppression." Well, that's not at all what's happening. There's no voter suppression happening at all. They're making up fake votes. So <laughs> so I don't even know if, if that one was intended. But last one, and this one's not necessarily so much about wokeism, but just about culture in general. I almost wore that exact same dress, but I'm, I'm so glad I didn't because you look phenomenal. Aw, what are you doing? I am fulfilling my duties as the president of the PTA, overlooking the ballot boxes, and something tells me that you've got this in the bag. Wink. I mean, you can't be a woke prom queen if you lose. <laughs> Which reminds me, here is a list of brands. I'd love for you to casually drop during your acceptance speech. Each one could be an additional 10K. Don't worry if you can't work in Pep Boys. It's not really our thing. So the movie, again, is called Senior Year. It's on Netflix. Got a feeling that you wouldn't normally watch this genre of movie, a movie that seems aimed at not necessarily high school girls, but at least at girls. But it's really, really funny. Rebel Wilson is in it. I knew absolutely nothing about this woman, except that when I would click on news stories, she would always be on the side tab as somebody who's lost a lot of weight. And I would say, oh, Rebel Wilson's lost a lot of weight. Have no idea who that is. Well, apparently she's a comedian, and she's really funny in this. Recommend you watch it if you have Netflix. Senior year, if you like those clips, you'll really like the whole movie because it's full of that stuff. Enjoy. Okay, Old Roy, you didn't solve anything in the last segment, so I feel like you are qualified to not solve this question either. Okay, I'll do my best. B big idea here. The January 6th commission is going to reconvene this summer because that's the only thing they have. Mm -hmm. And they're going to run that into the ground as hard as they can for as long as they can. And they're going to lose Congress. So, you know, this is their last ditch effort at basically making January 6th into the worst event in American history. Yep. Um, do you think there's a possibility that this whole thing ends up being a blessing? Let me explain. Okay. If they continue to, and really, it's already there, but they're going to continue to do this, make January 6th into, like, we cannot believe that people would attack, because that's, that's the delineation. It's not, you, you can go burn down a car lot. You can go mm -hmm. burn down anything you want, but it's when you attack a government institution, you're attacking the sanctity of democracy. And these people wanted to overthrow the government of the United States. That's the that's the MO, right? Mm -hmm. We're about to enter probably a more volatile period of time politically. Uh, I, I mean, 
I don't know anybody that would say, oh, it's going to calm back down. <laughs> I think we all know that it's going to get worse. We're talking about Roe versus Wade. I mean, we've already seen protests just with Roe versus Wade that have been out of line, not from the right, from the left, mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, you're talking about property damage and stuff. And a lot of times you're talking about being on federal property or government property to do so because they stand outside of, you know, hallowed institutions to make their point and have a nice backdrop. Could it be a blessing, though, that they've made such a big deal out of January 6th? And typically, it's not the right that riots. January 6th was out of line. The people who went in and took a dump on Nancy Pelosi's desk and stuff like that. You know, I mean, you took at pictures. A lot of it was just goofy. But um, they've been really, really treated poorly by the justice system. And there's a whole lot to go along with that. So I don't want to get into all that. But my point is that... They've made such a big deal out of January 6th, and I think you see where I'm going with this, that to now turn around and not condemn when their side will be doing the rioting for the most part. Like, if if Roe versus Wade falls or whatever the thing is, because it's a different thing every week, mm-hmm. whatever the next thing is that causes people to go, we're losing democracy, they're going to riot We've already seen them riot. They were rioting mm-hmm. over different things, but a couple years ago, it was, um, it was George Floyd, and then it was, um, gosh, I'm missing. There's other things in the COVID era that that there were different points of rioting, but there was a lot of rioting. There's a lot of business loss. We're talking about bi- billions of dollars of property damage. When that turns and goes at government institutions, which it will, it absolutely it has. Mm-hmm. I mean. We forget that there were protests when Donald Trump became president. Let's look forward and say Donald Trump becomes president again in 2024, inaugurated in 2025. Do you think that there's not going to be riots at the Capitol if that happens? Oh, there most certainly will be. And that's kind of my big point here. And what I'm asking you is, do you think it matters that they have set a precedent that if you attack a government institution with the intent of overthrowing something, you are a hardened criminal and you should be prosecuted. Haven't they hurt themselves by doing that because they're going to be the ones doing that? Well, they already did. I mean, the, the, the problem is that the people on the, on that side of things have no sense of irony. They don't care about hypocrisy. It doesn't, because everything's in the moment, in the emotion. So they were already attacking federal buildings. They, ter- they they tried to take over a police station or multiple police stations. They took part of a city and said, this is now an independent country. So the fact that they've already done it, they're going to continue to do it, and they're going to completely be oblivious to the irony of it or the hypocrisy of it, doesn't surprise me. I think it's going to continue because the people who are involved in the riots on the left are professional agitators for the most part. You know, there's a handful of people who genuinely want to make their voices heard, but those groups are always infiltrated. Those, those instances, those opportunities are always infiltrated by these the Antifa people, the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter people, who were also infiltrated by people Soros who just, and... they just want chaos. Mm-hmm. And so 
I, I just don't, I see what you're saying, but I think that moment's already come and gone, is that n- nobody on the left is going to to get it. They're not going to care that it's yeah. hypocritical that, oh, we just try to take over a police station or we burn down a police station or we, you know, we're on this federal property and we're shooting things. There was a guy who tried to blow up a federal building um, a couple years back and it, that's not the same thing in these people's mind because what and we talked about this last week what what they're fighting against is worse in their minds so yeah the, the ends always justify always. the means and they, it, yeah. it, it's always okay when we do it and not okay when you do it right I'll, I'll say this though just to conclude the point before we get to our scripted piece here um I don't think it's fair it, because the left does this to the right and the right does this to the left obviously I'm on the right. And so I see it happen to me, and I'm like, hey, that's not fair. Uh, when you take the craziest, crazy thing that somebody says, and sometimes it's just some random nut job. Sometimes it's Matt Gates, Sometimes <laughs> whoever, you know? Right. And they say, well, this is the whole right right here. And it's like, no, that person doesn't speak for me. Some, maybe 75% of the time that person does, but not 100% of the time. And we do that to the left, too. We do. And where we say, well, this is the left Antifa represents the left. Here's the problem why that's more true, though, than I think that it even gets credit for, is the left did absolutely nothing to stop it. They didn't condemn it. Every every freaking politician or pundit on the right has said, qualified, January 6th, not okay. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them have said that. I think I just said it. Yeah. Parts of that were not okay. Um, but I did never, I never heard that from the left about Antifa. Never. And maybe I've just missed it, but I mean, I'm pretty plugged into the news. No, you didn't miss it because that's built into the, this kind of Saul Alinsky, this, this <coughs> Marxist mentality that people on the left are, you never criticize your team. I mean, these are in all of the playbooks. Yeah. It's not an objective right or wrong. No. It's my right and you're wrong well, all the time, it, no matter what it is. It doesn't does. even matter right or wrong. It's you You never weaken your side's argument by admitting the other side might have a point. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's never anybody on the left that will condemn something. They will tiptoe around and they'll dance around and they'll change the subject. But no matter how bad they think their side is, they can't condemn it because it, it's ingrained into their their philosophy of of politics and of of everything they do. It, you just you go back and and you read these the books from these early Marxists and 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 people in the '60s and even earlier, and and they they all talk about this as a strategy. Is is you, you always circle the wagons no matter what, uh, because any any chink in the armor, any any um, weak point allowing for the other side to have a point weakens your stance that they're evil, which justifies that you can shut them down in any way you want. Yeah, you you can shut down. Free speech doesn't matter. Because if you're wrong, you need to be shut down. And if you're wrong, that means you're 
not part of my side, and anything that I'm saying is right and anything you're saying is wrong. Therefore, nothing you say matters. Therefore, I can shut you down. It doesn't matter. Right. There's no objective standard to anything. It's never that I'll protect your speech. The ACLU used to be, I'll protect your speech even when I disagree with it. Yeah. They used to go to court for KKK and Nazis. Right. That's gone. Not anymore. And they would say openly, we do not even agree with these people. But we we so believe in free speech that we're going to do that. They openly now are just like, no, we're a leftist organization. Yeah. I mean, they just say it. They, right. they don't even care. We're not going to defend free speech. So it's not about logic or rational thinking. It's it's about strategy and it's, it's about tactics. Mm-hmm. And, and they have people on that side, even if they're not you know, openly, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a diehard Marxist and we're going to overthrow everything. Even people on the left who mean well have bought into this notion that the other side is so bad that I'll defend my side. Or even if I can't defend them, I at least won't talk bad about them. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've seen. Exactly what we've seen. Um, good show. At least, uh, my part of it was good. Your part was not that great. Right. But uh, I think overall, I carried you. Yes, and again, I think, as um, usual. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, good job to me. And uh, we are just about out of time, but we do have, speaking of uh, two sides of the issue here, we have a political attack ad coming up next. If you can stick around for 30 seconds, we reset, and that'll be the last thing of the day is our scripted piece here on Wiggins America. Let's get scripted. Candidate A sounds like this. Candidate B sounds like this. Candidate A likes inspirational corporate soundtracks. Candidate B likes horror movie music. Candidate A is the good guy at the beginning of the movie. Candidate B kills that guy at the end of Act 2. Candidate A is running for Congress. Candidate B is running around outside the mall bathroom with his pants around his ankles. He thinks everyone in Congress is run by lizard slugs that wrap around the cerebral cortex. Candidate B. He thinks everyone in Congress is run by lizard slugs that wrap around the cerebral cortex. Paid for by Candidate B, Super Pack for Humans. American Media Export. Wiggins, America. Thanks for being here this morning. If you want to get the podcast, 971talk.com, or of course, I'm told the podcast for Wiggins America is all over the place now. You can get it at Apple Music, uh, Spotify, all these places are carrying it, which is super cool. So just type in Wiggins America and you can get it there. See you next week. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.